This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 359 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Wutzko and today we will talk about Dortmund's 2-1 loss away to Freiburg and we will preview Saturday's match against TSG Hoffenheim. Fun! For all that and more joins me Lars Poyman. Hello Lars, uh, how are you doing today? Hello Stefan, I'm in a foul mood and thus perfectly prepared to talk about First beep of the day, the shit show that was the Freiburg game. <laughs> yeah, ah, such a fun game. But um, obviously, uh, there I don't know, there's so many angles on how to approach this. Um, but I think the most obvious thing I need to say before that is uh, the situation in the Bundesliga table. Because right now Dortmund are 16 points. Behind Bayern, there are 9 points behind Leipzig, who are in second place. 6 behind... Wolfsburg and four points behind Frankfurt. They are level on points with Gladbach and I think only two points ahead now of said Freiburg. Um, and this obviously is also in the context of uh, Lucien Favre getting sacked on match day 11, which marked his fourth loss. And now Edin Tersic managed to mark his fourth loss within nine match days. So Lars, before we maybe talk about the Freiburg game or maybe in the context of that, um, do you think that uh, switching from Favre to Terzic was a good idea and to, uh, I don't know, instigate you a little bit more? Do you think that uh, there were improvements or point them out to me that Matsumal talked about because I so far am scratching my head? Um, I think you have to look at it twofold. I think it was perfectly within reason to let Favre go. I think he was kind of at the end of the road and uh, a lame duck because everybody and their mother knew he wasn't going to get another contract extension after the season or, you know, towards the end of the season. So <laughs> I can confirm. My mom said that Favre needs to go and she doesn't even watch um, Dortmund. So, yes. Yeah. And, and I mean, these situations kind of take a life on their own, especially when results are bad. And I think they needed to show a reaction to the heavy defeat against Stuttgart. But as uh, I said at the time, and I'm, I'm pretty sure others have as well, uh, going with an inexperienced assistant coach who was still with the team before then. So, you know, shoulders at least part of the blame himself, giving him this massive job and, uh, you know, the responsibility really of qualifying for the Champions League in Corona times, which is of huge uh, financial importance for Dortmund. I don't think that was necessarily a particularly smart decision. Um I can understand to a degree that they wanted to go with a younger coach who could talk to this generation of players, wanted someone with insights uh, and, and you know, some fresh ideas, obviously. And as for the, the Hummels praise, which I too found completely tone deaf after losing 2-1 against Freiburg when uh, the last coach to lose against Freiburg uh, was Jürgen Klopp. 
which is now a very long time ago. I mean, Christian Streich uh, has never or had never won against Dortmund before. Um, I still can understand to a degree what he's talking about because I think in terms of their intensity levels, uh, in terms of their pressing, they have been better than they were in the late stage on the Favre. And to an extent, I can even understand his talking about, uh, Hummels is talking about, you know, having bad luck in, in the Freiburg game. But I think, as I said, it's tone deaf in the general context of a season in which Dortmund are so far behind where they should be. Uh, to talk about, you know, this game in particular, obviously you can say that Freiburg scored a wonder goal and were helped for their second goal by a goalkeeping error. And other than that, I don't really recall too many chances of Freiburgs, whereas Dortmund arguably did enough in terms of creating goal scoring opportunities to win the game. But I mean, you have to take the general context into, uh, into things. You can't just put this one game in isolation and say, well, we'll be fine, which, you know, in normal seasons they might be. I mean, you can lose away to Freiburg, which is a, a very solid Bundesliga team these days. But as I said, in the broader context, uh, it was tone deaf and kind of shows, you know, that there's still a disconnect between reality and the internal viewpoints. And I think that is true for more than just the on-field performance at Dortmund. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I'm a bit disappointed that you made this answer sound so reasonable because I, I thought you had a little bit more oomph in you, Lars, after uh, announcing your fall moods. But um, little disclaimer, I watched the first half. I was still in bed, actually, because uh, I forgot to set an alarm and I was up till 2 a.m. or so on Friday night. So I didn't really particularly feel getting out of bed when I woke up in a sweat, uh, dreaming of set pieces um, at like 9.25 or so. And then I watched the game on my phone and uh, uh, got up at halftime. But uh, even though I was just watching it on my little handheld device, um, I could very much see that uh, Dortmund did fantastically struggle um, to build up through the middle. I think that was part of the plan that Freiburg had. But at the same time, um, another game where Julian Brandt completely disappointed me. Um, he was sort of just standing around, uh, hardly faced uh, to, to move around. I don't know if it was just the, the coaching staff or players themselves constantly uh, asking him to, to move his ass. And uh, yeah, I think it was the right decision to sub off uh, Brandt at halftime but um, you know if you listen to Emre Can after the game or Hummels that say that they didn't play poorly um, I might agree with that there wasn't a poor performance but uh, it was a far cry from a good performance and uh, if you think about Dortmund's you know future Champions League whatever you want to call it uh, being in peril like that um, a performance that Brandt showed I find as a fan watching this, it's an insult. That's a slap to the face that you just are standing around, not really trying to move out of the cover shadows, not trying to, uh, you know, try to build any connections, any pass angles with your teammates and uh, defensively hardly track back and, you know, make a couple of alibi runs here and there, but not nothing really forcing the issue. Um, we've seen this a couple of times, not only from Brandt and other players, but I feel like uh, it was sort of symbolic for uh, Dortmund's uh, lethargic uh, 
yeah, demeanor in midfield. And uh, obviously, um, there's this Twitter account between the posts that does these uh, nice pass maps and illustrates them. And uh, what we got against Freiburg from Dortmund is the uh, so-called U of Death because Dortmund had all the position basically between their center backs and then uh, passed it on the wings, but hardly found anyone in the middle. Uh, I haven't uh, looked up how many touches Haaland had, uh, and Reus and Brandt were also sort of, um, yeah, very isolated in in the middle. Um, just from that point of view, Lars, I think for me personally, that's that's maybe even more heartbreaking than anything else. You know, if you talk about intensity or whatnot, but um, the the fact that Dortmund could not um, overcome the uh, tactical um, ploy of Christian Streich and I want to say that for most part it, it was a pretty simplistic man-marking scheme and if you think back to Borussia Dortmund you know when they utilize their potential and combine a lot um, this is exactly the sort of tactic they in theory prevail against because uh, their combination play is just too fast for uh, opposing players to uh, yeah keep up so Watching Dortmund have zero ideas and not really forcing the issue, um, those two things is more annoying to me than, uh, you know, conceding one shot from distance and another one, uh, as you said, from a goalkeeping error. Um, I don't know how you see that, but I feel like, um, you know, when we talk in, in German, the word is Spielidee you know, your style philosophy or however you want to uh, approach a game, you know, there are several ways to interpret that. Uh, it can either be the greater philosophy or just uh, the given tactic of your uh, match day and your game plan. Uh, I didn't really see one last. Um, maybe you can uh, enlighten me here uh, what Dortmund's plan actually was because I just, I, I can't figure it out what uh, Tersic instructed his players to do and not to do. Yeah, me neither. I mean, uh, it was like wireless in Germany. They all had connectivity issues. <laughs> um, as you said, the 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 U of death, uh, the U of destruction or whatever. I mean, uh, when you have zero connectivity between your midfielders and everything is basically down to, you know, maybe a Hummels long ball or Guerrero creating something out of nothing. Uh, it's not going to cut it against a disciplined side like Freiburg who have been together uh, for quite some time, at least the, the key players uh, against the ball. Um, so I too struggle to kind of figure out what the exact plan was. I think it might have just been, you know, get the 11 best players on the pitch at the moment, uh, which would explain why uh, Emre Can played in this hybrid role uh, on the right side of the fence. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, because our fault because Matthias and I uh, were saying in a previous episode that Moray is a non-starter right now and you either need to pick Pischek or Jan as a right back. So if that didn't work out, I'll take full responsibility. I'm sorry. Yeah, good on you, Stefan. But still, I mean, uh, I think the plan probably was, as I said, put the best players on and hope for the best with your attacking talent. And granted, that can work and has worked in types, uh, given how just plain good 
you know, Jane Sancho is and Haaland doesn't really use uh, need a lot of chances. Uh, but he also only had really one against Freiburg that I can remember. Obviously, if that goes in, even to be honest, yeah, but you were still in bed, Stefan. It was after like four or five minutes, and Florian Müller uh, kept the ball out just uh, ahead of the goal line. So Haaland was kind of falling down. So it wasn't really like the you know clear cut, uh, beautiful play kind of chance, but he was there in the box, and more often than not, he will put those away, and you were probably looking at a much different game uh, after going up. Uh, within five minutes but yeah, didn't obviously that didn't also hit the bar or something yeah uh but you know i mean that's not down to their spiel idee that's just emil john having a pop from 25 or so yards so um i really don't understand what the plan was uh just as you didn't and you know i think this is also symptomatic of not just you know the current situation and you know problems on the pitch but Maybe this is too much of a generalization with uh, too broad a stroke, but I think this is once again a sign for the lack of an identity that this club has uh, in in many regards. I mean, I I don't think you can right now look at a game in black and white and say this is Borussia Dortmund, and that's something that's been an issue for a while now. But if we think back to the the best days not only under Klopp but also Tuchel and and the early stages of Favre I think you can you you could have uh, watched a game without color without commentary and you would still have been able to tell which of the two sides is Dortmund and the fact that that hasn't been the case for a while now and and definitely isn't the case the last few weeks under Edin Terzic I think that's uh, quite a problem yeah I mean Usually, there were at least some routines, some so-called automatism, as I like to call them, uh, where you just see on the field that situation X triggers situation Y, you know, players making runs, uh, you know, running into space. <laughs> and one run triggers another thing, um, you know, things you see from well-oiled machines. Like, for example, Eintracht Frankfurt, I feel like. Uh, I've, I've watched them play against Hoffenheim, their 3-1 win, and you could clearly see um, that there were certain patterns of uh, behavior on the field um, that were triggered. Um, and uh, I really do miss that from Dortmund right now. Um, obviously, players did say, I think, Hummels, and I don't even, I don't know for sure, but I think John said it too, that uh, they're a bit unlucky right now, that pretty much uh, it feels like every goal um, they're conceding is uh, going in, uh, and if you look at the yeah, expect- I th- I think every goal they're conceding is definitely uh, going sorry in. every every shot they're conceding is uh, turning into a goal pretty much. Uh, if you look at the expected goal, um, I think FB Ref has uh, Freiburg's expected goals at zero point two and Dortmund's at one point five, um, but. Um, we do have to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, post-shot expected goals statistics right now, um, which you can also find at uh, fbref.com, and that sort of uh, tries to evaluate uh, how good goalkeepers are uh, after you know the the expected goals average of a shot is measured. Then uh, it's sort of compared up against uh, what the how, how the goalkeepers fared with it. And uh, yeah, the 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 problem really is on that chart is uh, that Dortmund are dead last in in that table on uh, the absolute uh, post shot xG um, 
over the entire season now. Uh, obviously, on the top you have Kern Castells right now. He has a positive post-shot XG with a five, uh, 4.5 in the plus. Uh, second is uh, Manuel Neuer with a 4.1 at Bayern and Dortmund. Uh, I guess the tag team of Hitz and Birki uh, at minus 6.6. So, um, statistically speaking, if you will, and that's obviously um, only statistically speaking, but uh, say you plug Castiles into the Dortmund goal and uh, switch the Dortmund keepers to Wolfsburg, that would sort of mean a 10-goal swing for Dortmund, meaning uh, right now Dortmund have conceded 29 goals, and that would mean, if you run it up, that they would have conceded uh, just 19. Um, it's obviously... <laughs> Uh, not uh, something you could apply in, in reality, but I just want to highlight with that statistic that Dortmund's goalkeeping has been absolutely atrocious this season, and the statistics do reflect that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even know what to say, because obviously the uh, shot uh, by Jonathan Schmid, which is also a former teammate of uh, Marvin Hitz, I think they played together at Augsburg, uh, is obviously one he needs to save. Um, this is something that keeps happening. Last, is there anything Dortmund can do about that in the near future? And uh, if not, do you think that uh, they are just unlucky or they are bad? Because if they are just unlucky, that would mean uh, things would level out and they save a couple more long shots in the future? Or do you think it's just down to not applying enough pressure on long shots in uh, midfield and uh, narrow angles? <laughs> I mean, first of all, sample size is always an issue with expected goals tables within a season. I mean, every time you talk and read about expected goals, you kind of have to add the caveat especially for those that aren't familiar with these stats that you know these are really not meant to be looked at in short-term windows and and i mean especially uh, there was a time when after every game a, a, a number of accounts would post uh, expected goals numbers for 90 minutes which you know is definitely not advisable in terms of learning anything but i think when the data kind of uh marries your general viewpoint i think you can use it to an extent and i think definitely watching all these games you can't but think that Dortmund do have a goalkeeping issue this season i think uh, we've talked enough about roman burki and his you know low ceiling in terms of his goalkeeping ability i think i don't think he's like a top five goalkeeper in the bundesliga and hasn't been for at least one and a half maybe two seasons and while I do think that Hitz is a very solid number two, perhaps even the best number two in the Bundesliga, I think you can also see uh, that he's not some miracle worker who just needs an opportunity. Uh, I, I do think that it would have made sense to play Hitz over Birki, even if Birki hadn't been injured, which by now we definitely know isn't you know a fake injury to make things easier on Terzic. Um, because we know that Birki without confidence is much worse than the baseline Birki, which isn't great this season either. Um, but, uh, you know, Hits making these mistakes, I, I don't necessarily think the uh, goal he conceded against Paderborn in the cup was a mistake. Uh, he, he didn't really see the shot and, and uh, Emre John 
tried to deflect it so yeah there was really not much time to react and other than that uh, hits played well against Paderborn if memory serves uh, but yeah I mean we by now we know that neither Berkey nor hits should be the long-term solution in goal for Dortmund if they are serious about improving every position which they always should be so the question is uh, what happens the rest of the season and you know depending on a number of factors not least of which do they make Champions League for next season do they have enough money to buy a a new number one which you only should do if it's a real upgrade over Berkey which you know despite our uh, slagging him off is still a bit iffy I mean uh, so much talk about Peter Gulashi of RB Leipzig over the last few days and weeks and I wouldn't necessarily say that he's like a clear-cut upgrade over Berkey when all is said and done I think he's a more solid option um, with perhaps a much higher floor but I wouldn't necessarily say that getting him in would solve your goalkeeping issues for the next five or six years which should kind of be the uh, aim when you invest in you know a position like goalkeeper which is really a staple of every good team yeah, you, you, do you think that Dortmund should maybe try to uh, poach Alexander Nübel from uh, Bayern Munich since he is just sitting behind Manuel Neuer right now for the foreseeable future? And the uh, I don't know if it was Joachim Löw or another one of the DFB saying that they are questioning the uh, decision for him to not get any playing time these days. Um, maybe um, it, it was Oliver Bierhoff, but I mean, he's not very good. So I don't necessarily think that would be a great idea. And also... Even if he was, uh, I think it would be quite humiliating to get Bayern's uh, number two in. I mean, did, did did you want them to sign Sven Ulreich before this season? I don't think so. Uh, mm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, we should move on, Lars, um, because there were a couple of good minutes, uh, maybe 25 minutes, half hour or so. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know how long exactly, but um, I thought that uh, Dortmund improved uh, right away with the introduction of uh, Mahmoud Dahoud and uh, Yusuf Amokoko for uh, Thomas Delaney and Marco Reus. Um, what do you attribute that uh, phase of pressure to? Do you think it was just a reaction to going down by two goals, or do you think that the uh, change in personnel uh, made such a great impact that? Uh, Freiburg were really pressured or do you think it's it's more of how, how the game went? I mean, Freiburg were up two goals and and definitely expected them deeper than before. So uh, it was easier to connect uh, plays together. So, I mean, Dahoud definitely made a positive impact. And I mean, by now, there's really no excuse for Terzic not trying him at least from the start. I mean, he's basically uh, uh, tried every other combination you can think of. I mean, we've seen uh, Delaney with Jan. We've seen Delaney with Brandt. I think we've seen uh, Brandt with Jan. Bellingham has been in there. So all these midfield combinations haven't really produce the desired results so the logical thing to do would be to give the next guy a chance and I do think it's at least a, a bit encouraging that Dahoud after not playing in Terzic's first eight or so games has now at least been uh, used as a sub a couple of times and I think Mukoko uh, gives him another dimension in attack 
he uh, kind of needs less space than Haaland, I would say. Um, obviously, he got the goal, which was well taken, and he had like the the last chance in the game, if I'm not mistaken, even if he scuffed at it a little bit. A little bit. So yeah, it was I a think, contested shot because of Rainier being in the mix too. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean that's a shocker. They waved the human white flag with uh, the introduction of Rainier. Jesus, take the wheel. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean I would definitely assume, and, and Terzic talked about it in the press conference as well, that maybe in one of these uh, next few games, uh, playing Mukoko and Haaland might be an option. I think, as I said, you are basically at a stage where everything else hasn't really worked too well. So why not try that stuff? It's kind of it's kind of sad that uh, after match day twenty, we're still sort of in the throw in the wall, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks department. Um, you know, usually in this part of the season, you know, you, you should be way further ahead. But uh, yeah, that's football, I guess. Uh, sometimes. Uh, you find yourself in a situation where nothing works out and you don't really know why. <laughs> um, at least from Dortmund's perspective, that's exactly uh, what it looks like. So, um, But I'm, I'm glad that at least uh, something is coming from the bench right now uh, that helps Dortmund and uh, seemingly improves uh, things because uh, I think that was a point of criticism we had toward Tessic and I think that improved a little bit in recent games. Um, so at least there's that. So, um, yeah, obviously a painful loss for Dortmund. Um, if you look at the expected goals, as I said, uh, um, an avoidable one. I mean, especially with the goalkeeping error, you at least would think maybe Dortmund could have gotten a point out of this. Um, anywho, let's move on to the Hoffenheim game, which is on uh, Saturday morning, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this time I would set my alarm. Um, now, quick personal update uh hazard is back in training uh i think i don't know if he went back to full t team training yet i think tessage today at the news conference said that uh he uh didn't participate in all exercises and so with two training sessions left uh he will sort of see uh whether hazard will be fit but i personally expect him probably uh to be back uh fully uh next week or maybe for the severe match in the Champions League, and uh, also uh, Munir, Zagadou and Bucky are still ruled out, but uh, they are expected to return to the training pitch next week. And obviously Dortmund do play Hoffenheim, who got uh, beaten, as I said previously, by Frankfurt on Sunday 3-1. to uh, Hoffenheim right now are in 12th place. They have 22 points, they have 6 wins, 4 draws and 10 losses. Their top scorer, obviously, is Andre Kramaric with 13 goals to his name. Um, I uh, am uh, sad to remind everyone that it was him who scored four goals in his last visit to the Westfalenstadion, uh, which I think was also a 4-0 loss, so he scored 100% of the goals. And their uh, top assister right now is Ilyas Bebu uh, with four assists. He scored a very nice goal against Frankfurt. It was a good solo uh run after coming on at halftime he uh, just uh, yeah made uh, Hinteregger and uh, who is the other one uh, the Japanese defender help me out here Hasebe um, he is uh, yeah he made them look like corner flex and uh, nice finish and that's maybe maybe the kind of goal that Dortmund are prone to concede as well um, 
Now, I think the last two times uh, Hoffenheim traveled to the Westfalenstadt and Dortmund failed to win was the uh, final loss. And then I think it was uh, throwing away a 3 nothing lead, if, um, if I remember correctly, Lars. Um, but uh, of recently, Hoffenheim haven't really been uh, in their best form either. So uh, what kind of game are Dortmund fans to expect uh, this time? Is it going to be something along the lines of their 3-1 win against Augsburg. The hell do I know, Stefan? I mean, <laughs> how, however many minutes you watched uh, of Hoffenheim's against Frankfurt is however many more you have watched of them this season than I did, because I only watched the uh, first meeting of these two sides, which was pretty drab game decided by... Marco Reus, uh, I think he he and Holland came off the bench, mm -hmm. uh, and and there was like a long ball played over the top and kind of a bouncy bounce and and Reus there to clean up. Uh, so I mean, I'm I can basically repeat everything I say when they face these sort of mid table ish, closer to relegation than Europe sides, which is it's probably going to depend on Dortmund to uh, dictate how the game goes and if the last few weeks are any indication and Augsburg definitely was a positive surprise in that or not necessarily a surprise because we both predicted Dortmund to win 3-1 in that game uh, just to rub it in Matthias's face again <laughs> um, I mean is there any reason for us to be confident that Dortmund can take care of business against Hoffenheim probably not Uh, is there any real reason to be super scared of Hoffenheim? Probably not. Is that relevant when Dortmund are involved? Probably not. So, I mean, it's anyone's guess how this one goes. Uh, I, I'm, I'll be surprising myself with my prediction because I absolutely have no clue what to expect from this game. Yeah, I mean, uh, the uh, predicted lineup on who scored from Hoffenheim is obviously Baumann in goal. Then you have uh, Vogt and Posch. In central defense, you have Skov and Richards uh, as their fullbacks, and Samaseko, Rudi, Kadrabek, and Baumgartner in midfield, and uh, up front, uh, Kramaric and Bebu. So, with that, you do have a little bit of pace. Um, I mean, it's an okay Bundesliga team. It's the sort of team that can beat Bayern 4 to 1, but then lose to, I don't know, Schalke or whatever. Um, which, did they do that? Wasn't that? Yep. How how things uh, unfolded. <laughs> I mean, they beat Bayern in like September yeah. and lost to Schalke in mid-January, but uh, potato, potato. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Ne nevertheless, uh, um, a, a classic Bundesliga side in the sense that they're completely uh, unpredictable. Um, otherwise, they're not really a classic Bundesliga side. Um, so, yeah. I mean, of course... Usually, uh, I, I have the feeling that Dortmund like to lose a little bit uh, harder uh, against teams that uh, their fans hate than uh, usually. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm fairly confident uh, that Dortmund will show a reaction yet again because I feel like this is sort of their rhythm that they show a quote-unquote reaction to a loss then play well and then pat themselves on the back and then play crap the next time and then, oh, got to show a reaction. And uh, sometimes it works out, sometimes it does not, like, uh, say, Mainz. Um, where they, I think, played well, but uh, didn't get a result. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The, the the one thing I would be pondering here is, well, well I'm actually pondering uh, several things. Uh, 
but I I agree with you. I would uh, play Dahoud in midfield. Who would you pair him up with? Delaney. All right. Would you would you keep playing Royce or would you stick someone else there? Maybe play Mokoko and uh, Haaland as a uh, tandem or something like that. Uh, I mean, Royce de definitely deserves benching, but uh, neither Rainer nor Brandt deserve to yeah. have his spot. And given that I'm fairly convinced that they're not going to trot out uh, Torgon Azar too early again after he was injured coming back in the cup match against Braunschweig, if I'm not mistaken. Uh -huh. uh, It's probably going to be Reus. And, and also, I think this week there was a lot of talk in German press uh, about um, Terzic giving his leaders uh, a talking to or stern talking to after the Freiburg match on, on Sunday uh, in a team meeting. Uh, apparently, he was quite uh, strong in his word choice. So I would expect him to give Royce and, you know, Delaney, Jan, Hummels, obviously. I mean, there's not really too many options there anyway. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I'm expecting him to give them a chance to uh, redeem themselves a bit. And I think, well, it would make sense to play Mukoko uh, and Haaland just to see whether that works. I don't know that they are confident enough right now. And I think playing Dahoud from the start would already be a deviation from course. So I wouldn't expect both these things to happen. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, do you have a prediction? You go first, please. Um, since it worked so well the last time, I'm going with the 3-1 again. Uh, I'm going to go with a one nil win where afterwards nobody really knows how that happened <laughs> yeah that's fair enough which is uh, pretty much uh, the first game <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> because I, I i'm pretty sure that's literally what we said <laughs> um but yeah i'm not gonna uh, go back to that episode to confirm that now um but uh, either way uh, thank you Lars, for coming on um we shall be back obviously with an episode previewing the sevilla game Hopefully Dortmund can show yet another reaction until we are back. In the meantime, as always, thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye.